Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Oral Max Facts. These are your hosts, Mariam and Reedy, coming to you guys from New York and Ohio. We are very happy to report that we are safe and very much in lockdown thanks to COVID-19. How are you guys doing? <laughs> oh my gosh, Mariam, never in a million years did I think I would be sitting at home for weeks. And here we are. This was like summers when you were like in dental school. Yeah, except uh, we could go to places. Now we can't. We're just sitting at home. But um, hopefully you guys have good Netflix shows to catch up on. You know, Miriam, I'm glad you're safe, especially being in New York, since New York has been hit pretty hard with COVID-19. I'm sure the healthcare system's overwhelmed there. Um, how are things, especially at Mount Sinai Hospital? Things are slowly ramping up. And uh, we expect that this following week, which will be the last week of March, to be, uh, to be where we really start to see the shortages that we've been expecting when it comes to beds. As far as our service goes, we stopped all elective procedures about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And we have been really trying to limit even residence exposure to, the, to patients. And uh, we're trying to avoid admitting any patient that Previously, we were a little bit, you know, lenient with their admission because we want to protect them. But the struggle and the pandemic is very real. You know, as of today, Sunday, we the shutdown is official and hopefully people will take us seriously and stay home. Can you tell us if New York Dental Association has mandated anything for dental and oral surgery offices to stop working or limit their practice to only emergency procedures? Because I know here in Ohio, we are pretty much mandated to just stop all elective procedures. And there was a lot of confusion. They send out a list of what's elective and what's not and what's emergency. And now we are um, facing the shortage of N95 masks and gloves. And this has caused a real issue for healthcare providers and staff to continue to treat safely their patients, you know. That's a very good point that you mentioned. I actually was talking to my colleague in Florida and he told me the same thing. Everything by by power of governor has been shut down for at least eight weeks uh, in Florida when it comes to dental offices. Yeah, it's a long time. Yes, it's a very long time. I, besides ADA recommendation and Amos supporting those recommendations, I haven't seen anything particular for New York, but... Uh, you know, I've har- kind of heard mixed mix news. A lot of my dental uh, friends who are general dentists have really shut down their offices and they're really trying to do something uh, that is safe for everyone, their staff. So I'm, I'm hoping that everyone is following the common sense in these pandemic times. Yeah, I don't think there has ever been a better time to be a team player than today. Anyway, so this episode is not about COVID-19. We are we are hoping everyone is safe out there and our prayers are with you guys. No better time to practice hygiene than it is today. Yes, it's finally paying off the practice of not wearing scrubs to work and back home. We are officially mandated to uh, wear street clothes to hospital, change there and, uh, and then reverse. It's, it's about keeping your family safe, keeping everyone around us, and healthcare providers, we are the front line. Anyway, enough about COVID-19. Congratulations, Reedy, for finishing your board and passing board and being an officially board certified. 
<laughs> Oral maxillofacial surgeon. <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you so much. <laughs> it's such a relief. Yes, yes, it's, uh, it was a long time coming. Yes. And today's episode, we are going to talk about the ins and outs, the process, so we all can be familiarized and kind of know what to expect outside the tunnel of residency. You know, it's such a long process since the day you start applying for your residency to getting through residency. And then once you're done, you're really not done because you still have boards. And that's all of a two-year long process if you do it right after residency. So there's a, there's a lot of unknown that, you know, I didn't think about it. I didn't know about it while I was in residency. And here we are today. We're just trying to give you guys some idea of what the process is like and what to expect once you graduate from residency and you're, if you're starting or thinking about taking oral boards and written boards. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's start with the written boards, Reedy. What's the process like? So for written boards, um, I would highly recommend you start looking at ABOMS website. It's um, abombs.org. And um, the application opens up in June for written boards. And the deadline is September. And on their website, they have lots of different dates on when should you apply, what are the things you're going to need. And there's an application that you also need to fill out that goes to your program as a verification of your residency. I think around October, November is when you get an email communication to sign up for a date for your boards, which is usually in January. And it's only offered for one week in January as a computerized test at Prometric Center. Is it a specific set date in September that's always that date to be the deadline? or? So I think that date varies every year. So you should check the A-Bounce website every year. The, the year you, you plan on taking your boards is when you should check the deadline. Because I know it was different for me looking back at my emails than what it is on there today. Mm-hmm. I, I see. I see. So what is their preferred way of communication? You mentioned email. Yeah, I think email is the best way to communicate with you. I don't remember getting anything in my mail except for the results. And the results are also posted on their website first. So it's always best to check the website. Okay. So what documents do they need for signing up for the written board? So that's a good question. The documents they need are pretty much the things that you would have handy, just like your copy of your OMS certificate, your government issue, photo ID, copy of your dental license, and verification of your residency program, which your residency has to sign and send to them. And of course, we're paying $2,275. $2,275? Jijing jing. <laughs> Don't be shy. <laughs> That's still less than the oral board. So the whole process is around five, dollars $6,000. Just for the test registrations. Yep. Okay. So tell me about the test. How is this similar to the on-site, the in-service test that we typically take while in residency? Yeah, you know what? I was going to just say um, this test is very, very similar to on-site. Um, the way it's structured, the questions. You know, if you remember a question on on-site where you were asked to look at an EKG and there was no EKG, well, guess what? That still happens. So... <laughs> <laughs> So if it happens, don't panic. I think they just end up throwing the question out. But this exam is very similar to on-site. They'll email you a blueprint of qualifying exam once you sign up, 
which breaks it down into 10 different topics. And this serves as a good study guide. And do you remember those topics? Yeah, so most of the questions come from medical assessment and anesthesia or pain control, which includes all the systems as well as ACLs and PELs. And then you have about 30-ish questions from pathology, dental, alveolar, trauma, orthognathics, cleft, and sleep apnea, and dental implants. And then the, the small topics would be cosmetics and TMJ, where they have about 11 to 12 questions for those topics. So a total of 300 questions with a built-in break in between. Oh, so you did have a break because typically for OMSIDE, they told us there is no break. You have a little lunch break in between after 150 questions, yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good to look forward to. (laughs) (laughs) So going back to the stuff you used to study, was there a particular book, references that you constantly find yourself going back to? Yeah, no. Not for written. Honestly, written exam, I found it to be so so random i don't know how to put it other than that and everybody i taught that's very encouraging yeah everybody i talked to feels the same way and obviously a lot of people still pass so it's not hard to pass it it's just that there's no one thing in pinpoint to you know the resources would still be the same ones that you would use for onsite so things like the old questions that they had released and then peterson's and board review book and uh, clinics of North America would be some some good stuff to look at. I think you you forgot a very important resource, uh, Reedy. Which is which is Oral Max Facts podcast. Oh, <laughs> uh, do you recommend taking any course for the written? Um, I didn't take any. I know the Denver course is known to be the popular one for written, but honestly, I didn't see the need to take a course. I knew I could just study on my own and. It was fine. And how much time do you think it takes to study for the exam for special nerds like me who like to overstudy? (laughs) You know, I'm just as big of a nerd as you are. And I like to take my time. I don't want to take any chances. And most importantly, I don't want to take this thing again. So I figured I'd give it all I got in one shot and be done with it. So I started studying around November for the written boards, which is administered in January. And I think that was plenty of time to go through everything. That's really good. That's really good. (laughs) Those were very good information that I didn't even know I had to think about after residency finishes. But let's say you're taking your written boards in January. When do you get the result back? So once you take the boards in January, just um, relax for two months because the results won't be back until March. And um, they are updated on their website under ABOMS first before they're mailed so if you're eager like i am i would keep checking it every day in march (laughs) but it is mailed in march as well okay okay and once you're past the written here comes the big gun the oral board is the process pretty similar as far as application process to the written board yeah so in terms of timeline once you know that you've passed your written you're eligible to take your oral boards so once you have the results in march The application, again, opens back in June, and the deadline is sometime in September as well for the oral boards. And the only thing that they require for oral that's different is that you need to be hospital privileged at the time of applying for oral boards. So you need to get a form that you fill out from the hospital that you're at saying that you are on staff there. If you aren't hospital privileged, you should use that time from March to June to try and get that done, especially if you're in a area like New York or California, where I know a lot of people were saying it takes much longer 
to be a hospital privileged in those areas. Also, the fees for oral boards are a little bit higher. It's a total of $3,300. And once you submit your application, you get a date for your oral boards in December. So they take that time between September to December to sort to sort it out. And you're assigned a date. Now, this date cannot be changed, cannot be argued with, nothing to be done. They give you what date your exam is, what time your exam will be. And it is administered in February. I think it's um, first or second week usually. And this is the first year they decided to move things to Raleigh, North Carolina. So everyone is mandated to stay at the same hotel, which was Hilton. It sounds like uh, quite a scene. Oh, yeah. You'll make best friends with people you had never known before. (laughs) (laughs) So what was the exam process like itself? You know, this is a good question. And um, I didn't know about the exam process that had hadn't even think about it until I I did some courses where they tell you what to expect. And I thought that was helpful. So that's what I'll, you know, try to impart here. So you're not totally lost. They do three sessions a day for first three days, Monday to Wednesday. And then they do two sessions a day on Thursday and Friday. You are assigned a time when you should show up for registration first before your exam. And this is also at the hotel. You cannot bring anything with you except for your ID and your own key. And you have to pack all your belongings in your room. You have to be dressed professionally. So usually suits for men and skirt or pants or dress for female candidates. And they're very serious about this dress code. And once you register, you're escorted on a bus to the testing center. Oh my god, a, a bus full of very nervous candidates? Yeah. It was the registration room. You can just feel the tension. Like mine was the very first day, the last session. And the room was just so tension. Everybody's just sitting there with their heads down. And nobody's, everyone's like, don't talk to me right now. (laughs) I can't even imagine. The thing is, we've been taking exams for the past God knows how many years of our life. And still, I can, I feel a cold sweat in my palm just talking about this. (laughs) So part two is when the bus gets to the testing center. The testing center is usually away from the hotel and everybody gets escorted on a bus. So once you're at the testing center, you'll be taken to a room while they do a brief presentation on what to expect. And then they're pretty much on time and on schedule for everything. So it's like an organized orchestra. So candidates assigned a schedule in a room and the examiners actually go from room to room. You stay in your own room. And there are three sections and two examiners per section. So each examiner will switch between. So there'll be four cases per section. And the examiners will just keep switching. One will administer the first one. The second will administer the second one. Oh. So if you have a conflict with the examiner, let's say it was your, from your intern year or you know from your previous training, your school or whatever, you can let them know ahead of time that, hey, I know this examiner. And I want a different person examining me. And they're really good about accommodating everyone, too. I heard that they give you a list if you know someone. Yeah, yeah. So when you register is when you get your schedule. And they encourage you to tell them at that same time to let them know if you have any conflicts. Usually, most people don't. But, you know, just something to keep in mind. And also, each section is 48 minutes long with a seven-minute break in between when you can use the restroom or stretch or whatever. Seven minutes? I feel like prisons get more break. (laughs) And they'll give you water. Water's in the room. (laughs) The water's providers. (laughs) 
<laughs> so you mentioned three sections. What are those three sections? So sections. So section one consists of orthopedic surgery, infection, TMJ, and pathology. Section two consists of trauma, implant, reconstruction, and dental alveolar. Section three consists of adult medicine anesthesia, pediatric medicine anesthesia, emergency management, and focused short topic. And these focused short topic could consist of cleft lip and palate, obstructive sleep apnea, or cosmetic. Basically, the entire breadth of oral maxillofacial surgery. So each section is forty-eight minutes long, but there are subsections, and you get four cases per section. Which so each case is twelve minutes long, and those twelve minutes are very precious for that case to try and score everything you can. And there's a clock with a timer behind the candidate, so I can't see it, but the examiners can, and they're pretty strict about moving on to the next case once the timer goes off. Timer goes off, that case is done. Forget about it. You're on to the next one. So my biggest advice would be to focus on the current case. Do not dwell on the past case, no matter how bad or good it went. Don't dwell on it. Just be in the current moment. It's much easier said than done. Much easier said than done. It is, which is why practice is very, very important. How do you go about studying for it? <laughs> That's a million-dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> So most topics are pretty focused, right? Like you would know what to expect from orthodontic case, a TMJ case, or a trauma. It's going to be a pan facial, so just be ready for that. But the broad topics are pathology and medicine anesthesia. I mean, medicine could be anything, anything. But I would say most people actually worry a lot about medicine, and medicine doesn't end up being the hard topic because you overstudy. And、um, you know something else will end up being the questionable one. <laughs> pathology, I I was very cross with it because you get one question from pathology, all of one question, and pathology is really really broad because it could be benign or malignant or let's not mention staging because every different lesion has different staging and then different treatment and whatever. And the staging constantly changes. Exactly. So at least medicine anesthesia has its own section, so you know exactly what you're, what section you're in, and what you should be focusing on. The peculiar thing about medicine anesthesia section was that there were a bunch of small cases rather than one twelve-minute long case. And、uh, how does one end up collecting the maximum points? How can we get an A in this test? A plus. <laughs> Yeah, very few people walk out of there saying, "Oh yeah, you know, knock their socks off." <laughs> so, well, you called me right after that. You're like, "I did it, girl. I got this." <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> I think so. For each case, you need to collect points for data collection,、uh, treatment, and management of complications. So don't dwell too much on one part and miss out on the other, and、um, I say that because a lot of times people run out of time and don't get to managing a complication, and that's also one part they'll test you on. Just keep that in mind. And also one thing that they started testing on is that you know a lot of times you go through the case, you do the data collection treatment, and then complication will be completely unrelated to the case. It, they would show you a completely different patient with a different complication. So just 
just be mindful of that. They could be anything and you need to know how to manage it. Wow. Any word of advice from your experience? Yeah, so get used to being cut off while you're answering the question. So you would be answering something, they'll cut you off and move on to the next question. And that's okay. If the examiner senses that you're on the right track and you know it's in your best interest that they cut you off and move on because then you can collect more points. And when you're studying, practice that too with your buddy. Also, it's okay to say, I don't know and move on. You don't have to know everything, but you may know something that they can ask you and collect more points. Also, one more thing they added this year was ethics. A lot of ethics questions they'll just throw in randomly. I love ethic questions. Yeah, but those are easy points. By ethic question, you mean what if you take a wrong tooth? Yeah, something like that along those lines or the patient's threatening to sue you or your partner. How do you respond to that? Okay, so speaking of studying, what do you recommend studying and how long? And did you take any courses? Yeah, I did. Tell me all. (laughs) So if you go to Amos' website, they have listed a bunch of courses that are available for board review purposes. I did two courses. I told myself I'm not going to overdo this. Um, I'll study. And then the two courses I picked were also based on when they were given. So I went to Jacksonville course in Nashville. So Jacksonville is uh, the second weekend of January. And Nashville is following that the third weekend of January. And I found them both very helpful. They're both completely different. Jacksonville is much, much smaller than the Nashville one. Nashville is the biggest one I think that most people go to because there were about 300 people there. But they're both case-based, which is what I find helpful. They're not just sit there and give you lecture. They actually show you cases and they make a volunteer go through a case. That's extremely helpful, I think. Also, I cannot emphasize this enough. Find a study partner. Find a couple study partners and just study with them. Practice saying things out, even the most common thing they would be doing all day, every day, like third molars or taking out a submandibular gland or whatever it is. Practice saying it out because you're going to fumble if you don't practice ahead of time. I hear you. And also find a mentor to help you examine in the board cell manner. And that would be very helpful too. Besides the Jacksonville and Nashville course, what else did you use to study? What I did was Nashville course, once you sign up, they, they send you a, like a PDF of their study notes. And I used that as, a, as my base material. And then I supplemented with everything else. So I, I read Peterson's and the Board Review book and Clinics of North America. Honestly, I cannot emphasize how useful the Clinics of North America is. So do have access to those, then, you know, please read those. And of course, the Atlas for all the different procedures out there that you've done, you haven't done, you can read about it. And there's a lot to go through. I'm, I'm not a type of person you can study last minute. So I took my time. Some people can study for two to four weeks and pass. And I know someone who did that, but I'm not one of them. So I started studying around September, give it solid few months. My strategy was to get the information right first, and then practice. So that's what I did. The first half was just knowing the material. And the second half was just your strategy on how you're going to deliver it. I hear you. Um, Yeah, I remember those months where you were very busy studying for boards. (laughs) I was MIA sitting on a couch all day, every day after coming home from work and not doing anything with my life. Yeah. And Seamless made a lot of money on it. Except podcasts. You know, podcasts, 
Um, our podcast was actually very helpful with studying as well. I would say just listening to something while you're driving. Repetition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was very helpful information, Rudy. Thank you so much for sharing that. I feel like I know exactly what I have to look forward which to, which is two more years of post-residency not having a life. So... <laughs> No, all jokes aside, uh, one final question. Did you see in your process of taking the oral boards or written boards that there was some uh, rooms for people who identify with ADHD deficiency or have learning, uh, different learning abilities? You know, that's a really good question. And I don't, I want to say I don't think there was any special arrangement because especially the oral one, it's, it's timed and I don't think anybody could get an extra time because then examiners will be held back and then whichever other room they have to go to, they won't be able to go to. So I don't think anybody gets extra time for anything, really. Okay, so if you guys have any other question that we didn't answer in this episode about boards, please DM us on our Instagram, OralMaxFacts, and stay safe, wash your hands, and don't go out. Yes, let's beat this COVID-19 pandemic together. Yes! okay until next time i hope you guys found this helpful it was i thought it was important that we shared this information with everyone out there who don't know didn't know is starting to get ready for this and if you have any more questions please feel free to dm us on insta and we'll be happy to answer any questions we can okay until next time goodbye goodbye i like the word peculiar such a good word (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.